Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And I hope you'll visit their website. Give them a call, johnsonsair.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. He's in Tel Aviv, as he's been for about the last six weeks, talking about Israel's new government, Hong Kong, China, and the U.S. pandemic. We'll also visit with Larry Reed, the uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be talking about the inspiring story of Milton Hershey of Hershey, Pennsylvania. It was named after his chocolate company. And we'll visit with Jim McTagg. He is the author of a couple of books. Uh, one is Follow the Leader. Its sequel is Shake the Money Tree. He's also Barron's former Washington bureau chief. We'll be talking about what's happening on in Capitol Hill. It is May the 18th, and on this day in 1896, in a major victory for supporters of racial segregation, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 7-1 to that a Louisiana law providing for equal but separate accommodations for white and colored races on the railroad cars is constitutional. The high court held that as long as equal accommodations were provided, segregation discrimination, and thus did not deprive African Americans of equal protection under the law as guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. The Plessy v. Ferguson ruling, which indicated that the federal government would officially tolerate the separate but equal doctrine, was equally used to justify segregating all public facilities, including railroad cars, restaurants, hospitals, and schools, and however colored facilities were never equal to their white counterparts in actuality, and African Americans suffered through decades of debilitating discrimination in the South and elsewhere because of the ruling. In fact, uh, star athletes like Jackie Robinson had to stay in colored-only motels and hotels to travel with the team in the South. In 1954, Plessy v. Ferguson was struck down by the Supreme Court in their unanimous ruling by in Brown v. the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas. And, uh, of course, the rest is history. Just part of our history, and I uh, hope you appreciate, as I do, these stories from our past. Well, U.S. stock futures rallied today, suggesting that shares may recover ground following their biggest weekly percentage drop in nearly two months. Contracts tied to the S&P 500 gained 1.6%. Right now, they're up about 350 points. Of course, that all could disappear as trading goes on uh, today. Well, the coyote death toll remains at 37. COVID cases of COVID-19 has increased to 923 in Collier County. 146 folks have been hospitalized, but many of them have been released from hospitalization. In Florida, 45,588 confirmed cases with the latest report, and 9,589 of them are in Miami, and there's been 1,973 deaths. All told, things, it looks like the curve is not only flattening but decreasing in Florida. Governor DeSantis announced restaurants and retail stores can move next week to 50% capacity, and gyms can reopen their doors under expansion of Florida's phased economic restart program during this coronavirus pandemic. Congratulations to the governor. Got a lot of heat for what he's done, but uh, uh, he's uh, demonstrated that he's using, as he calls it, facts over fear. Bars, movie theaters, and vacation rentals remain closed for the time being. Uh, Here on the Paradise Coast, uh, the Apple stores are opening in Florida. I don't know if the one here on uh, in uh, Naples is opening, but uh, we'll find out. I'm sure that's going to be an important consideration for them. It's a big store. Also timed online tickets are available. Go to the zoo. So we're seeing signs of uh, f- of Naples, the Paradise Coast opening as well. By the way, if you want tickets, you can go to NaplesZoo.org. If you haven't been there, we have a terrific zoo here on the Paradise Coast. Robert Redfield, head of Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, on Friday cautioned a strong possibility that the United States would surpass more than 100,000 coronavirus deaths by the beginning of June. CDC tracks 12 different forecasting models of possible COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. As of May 11th, all forecasts are increased in deaths in the coming weeks, an accumulative total exceeding 100,000 by June 1st, he tweeted. 
So this is the kind of stuff that drives the fear that's holding us back. Our focus globally, nationally, statewide, and locally has been the impact of the Wuhan virus, or plague. We're updated daily on the number of cases reported, hospitalizations and deaths, and so forth, as I've just done. Our goal has been to flatten the curve so our hospitals and healthcare systems are not overwhelmed. But at what expense? I'd like to see a more complete dashboard. This is an idea I came up with over the weekend. Don't know if you agree with this, but would include other health and economic indicators that would help us understand the unintended consequences of closing down our economy, as, as well as what's happening with the flu or with the uh, uh, virus. To create some perspective, in 19, uh, 2018, we had 2,839,205 deaths. About 650,000 from, from heart disease. Cancer took about 600,000 of us. Preventable inter- injuries, 167,000. Cro- chronic lower respiratory r- diseases, 159,000. Stroke, about 147,000. Alzheimer's, about 122,000. Uh, and there were other diseases. So if today's statistics on COVID-19 were included, the number of deaths would be seventh on the list, even at the rate of 100,000, as Redfield is reporting it's going to be. Now, Victor Davis Hanson, one of my heroes, he's uh, part of the, he's a, a professor in California. He's pointed out the risk of death during elective surgery is 0.67%. The risk of death from coronavirus is 0.1% to 0.3%, which is slightly higher than the seasonal flu. The comments and predictions from CDC Director Robert Redfield and Dr. Tony Fauci have destroyed the U.S. economy based on ridiculous models and phony predictions. So in addition to COVID-19 statistics, how about expanding the dashboard, as I mentioned, to include statistics like jobs lost, businesses shuttered, homes foreclosed, or mortgage uh, percentage of folks missing mortgage payments, percentage of people not paying their rents, reports of homelessness or food shortage, Suicide hotline calls, domestic abuse calls, which, by the way, I found out are up 21% since the lockdown. That's 21%. Now, these may not be the proper categories, but the idea is to track the actual cost of closing the economy to flatten the curve. Uh, If properly created, we could all see clearly what this uh, shutdown is costing us and hold election officials and policymakers accountable for their recommendations and decisions. And by the way, related to this, President Donald Trump rolled out a warp speed initiative to develop 300 million doses of coronavirus vaccine by year's end. Reporters, of course, are screaming, you can't do that. It's going to take 18 months. Well, he's going to get it done. That's one thing about the president. He gets it done. He's unbelievable in terms of the speed of what he, what he thinks about and what he gets done, in my opinion. Dr. Scott Atlas, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, shared his five key points for treating the coronavirus. He said, evidence shows that the fatality rate is much less, maybe one-tenth of what it was originally estimated at 3.4%, and the reality is for people under 60, the mortality rate is less or equal to the amount of the, of the flu, as we pointed out earlier. The second fact is we know who to protect. The elderly and immunocompromised are most at risk. Those Americans in nursing homes need to be protected. Number three, by isolating every single person and avoiding human contact, you have literally eliminated the best method to accomplish herd immunity or population immunity. Number four, Americans are dying because they're not going to the hospital to get the medical care for things other than COVID-19. Now, this has just opened up. I uh, took a ride with my friend, uh, my orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Mark- George Markovich, this weekend, and he reported he's able to work now in the hospital and do uh, operations uh, but nevertheless, this policy has been killing people. Society must punct- function. Number five, society must function. The, the cure here is worse than the disease, according to Dr. Atlas. It's unbelievable how politicians don't look at the new data and make different decisions. We need to have a more complete dashboard, in my opinion. Now, to continue this, Bruce Thompson, who was the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Legislative Affairs during the Reagan administration and Director of Government Relations for Merrill Lynch for 22 years, he says, good news, COVID-19's grip is fading. 
The daily news about the novel coronavirus is bad. Every day we're told that the pandemic is out of control and there's no end in sight. We read the number of new cases is rising. Deaths are climbing. And the United States is by far the most death deaths of any country in the world. The economy is collapsing. Unemployment is spiking. And the depression is coming. But exports warn us that reopening the economy will just mean more suffering and death. Isn't that the case? It's true that the pandemic's toll on our health and economic well-being has been devastating, but review of public reports, statistics, and studies show that the future is not as dire as we might be told by the national media. In fact, there's ample evidence that we're turning the corner on the virus, and the overwhelming majority of people are not a serious risk. If they take common-sense precautions and follow the Centers for Disease Control Prevention Guidelines, and then he gives eight reasons why uh, things are starting to look a lot better. And uh, I think you've seen those reasons too, but I'm, I'm making the case, look, there's some other news. First of all, unintended consequences of shutting this economy down. Yes, deaths are not good, but you know what? They're less than we had get from Alzheimer's each year. So uh, we need to take another look at this. Governor DeSantis, quite frankly, is on the right track. But I think we could do even more to open up the economy. We need to, need to because we're creating... Damage, perhaps, that will take years to recover, unfortunately, if we don't get moving in a hurry. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by uh, Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is uh, naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Gulf Shore Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Now, you heard about the education programs, but a great season of 
productions lined up for starting in the fall. You can visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau of a couple of books. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is also an author. Mark has written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So we're going to talk about current global events, world events that are going on. And, of course, the pandemic has been dominating the news. But I understand there's a, a new government in Israel. Absolutely. A government was uh, formed or um, sworn in yesterday. Um, it's this combination government where uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu agreed to a rotation agreement with the um, head of the opposition, Benny Gantz, his party actually broke in half because half the people were not willing to join the Netanyahu government because the claim had been that they would never join a government led by Netanyahu, whose trial for bribery and corruption is about to begin next week. Mm. So despite that, the decision was made to, to join the government. The feeling of those who decided to join it was that the only alternative was a fourth election, and that would be the fourth election in a year, and that would be just, you know, a little beyond what people are willing to take. Uh, so um, the government has been formed. It's the biggest government in Israel's history. They've created all sorts of ministries that never existed before in order to give people jobs so that everyone would be happy. <laughs> so it's a very strange situation. They took from one ministry and added another ministry. They took they took one person, one ministry, to give you an example, is the Ministry of Higher Education, so there wasn't a higher education. There used to be an education ministry. They took the higher education out of the education ministry and then added it because that wasn't enough for the for the person that's in the Likud faction from Netanyahu's side. They added it to be responsible for water, which they took out of the energy, the energy <laughs> department. And, and I could give you a whole series of crazy things that have been created like that. It's it's quite a rubrics crude of how, how to make your government least efficient possible by having more government ministers uh, giving them more false titles and responsibility, taking things out of one department and putting it into the other. But what the heck? You got to you got as a government. So, so it's a, what it, what basically is in the smoke filled room in the back. Uh, <laughs> that they said, look, what, what can we do to get people on board with this? So they created jobs. <laughs> and that's right. Hey, listen. The joke is that the joke in the country is, hey, listen. What's bad about this is twenty uh, percent unemployment. At least now we can you know create a couple thousand jobs for people. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much, Mark. It's unbelievable. Well, at least it's not happening just here. It just reminds me of the saying of uh, the uh, former uh, premier of uh, uh, Winston Churchill said, you know, the, you can always count on the uh, people in America to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. Everything <laughs> else, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that's so interesting. Now, uh, who's actually serving as the Prime Minister? Who's actually in I mean, charge? The Prime Minister is Netanyahu for the next year and a half, and then in a year and a half, uh, Benny Gantz, who is now the Defense Minister, will take over as the Prime Minister, um, and then um, Netanyahu will become like the, the Prime Minister-in-waiting, and then uh, the person who's now the Foreign Minister, Gabi Ashkenazi, who is also one of the Chiefs of Staff, become a defense minister. And then the person who is the transportation minister, who just became the transportation minister, who used to be the cultural minister until now, uh, will become the foreign minister. And I, want, I think the person who has been sent to that job I just told you about, who is the uh, higher education and water person, will then become the transportation minister. Wow. Oh well, well, that yeah, I'm giving a test to all your listeners after this. Yeah, you know, they actually had a uh, on one of these really news shows last night. They actually had among with three people, you know, three people who are serious former politicians. They had this joke where they had, "Here's the picture. Give me the name and tell me what job they have." Yes, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure they know who, what job they have. So uh, that's so interesting. By the way, I failed to point out to our listeners that you're right now in Tel Aviv. You've been there. Uh, uh, of course, you've got family there, but the the other reason, of course is you do a lot of reporting and uh, writing for uh, uh, there and uh, appeared on television programs. But uh, uh, part of it is just waiting to get uh, be able to travel back to the United States so you're not quarantined. Right. Well, with the Israel, Israel had only four cases yesterday. Hmm. So it seems a fairly safe place to be also at the moment. Well, it's safe here too, Mark. So uh, come on back when, when the time is right. So uh, let's, let's move to Hong Kong and what's happening there. 
Right, so Hong Kong, there was literally a brawl, fist fist fights, on the floor of the uh, parliament of Hong Kong yesterday, yesterday, I guess, through the time zone, I guess maybe it's today, actually, um, amongst those people who were considered aligned with the Chinese government and those who oppose it. And again, additional pressure that exists, that continues to exist in, in Hong Kong, uh, that sort of went away during the uh, during the COVID nineteen crisis, when the question of fear that China is going to exert too much pressure or too much power in Hong Kong and the Hong Kong people wanting to maintain their level of independence. So that problem has not gone away. It's like one of those things that became quiet for the last three months while the world was looking somewhere else and was involved somewhere else. And so that'll come back now, assuming the crisis passes. They will no doubt come back in the in the same sort of way. So, what's happening so. to the economy of Hong Kong? Uh, I've heard reports that it's actually diminishing its capitalist and independence in a sense that uh, so that some uh, entrepreneurs are leaving Hong Kong in fear of what's going to happen. To, what do you see? There's clearly some some of that. There's a capital flight to some extent. Yeah. Um, you know, the Chinese. Remember something else: the Chinese economy, for the first time in thirty years, contracted this past six months. So we've never seen that before, and so we don't know what effect that that's going to have. And don't forget, you know, the Chinese economy is particularly susceptible because of the credit um, balloon they created mm-hmm. and all the excess housing and everything else they built. That downturn is is very problematic. Um, we don't know how how long it's going to continue, and how big it's going to become. We also don't know what the effect. You know, to to jump to a slightly different topic, but the the move by much of the world now, cons- the, the whole issue of supply chain and everything else that the current crisis has has brought to light, um, it could have profound impacts on the Chinese economy, and we don't really know to what extent yet. We don't know what extent it's going to have on the world economy. Yeah, so it makes me wonder about if the if Hong Kong and what's happening there is kind of the canary in the coal mine for the leadership in China, because uh, there's a growing dissatisfaction. Of course, in Hong Kong, the dissatisfaction about the possibility of losing freedom is there. Wonder if it exists as, as much for the Chinese people on the mainland. It hasn't until now. In other words, look, remember something: that people in Hong Kong are used to freedom, and they're afraid it's being taken away. Mm-hmm. The Chinese people never really had any freedom. Maybe slightly more before Tiananmen Square, but by and large not. And most of the Chinese people bought into the um, bought into the deal that was we will let the we will let the country become prosperous. We will allow you personal economic freedom in return for the fact that you keep your hands off of the issue of of freedom when it relates to government. Mm-hmm. And most of the Chinese accepted that. There were some questions again, again, the beginning of the COVID nineteen, and the way the Chinese government handled it initially. And initially, it looked like they were handling it very poorly. But the results, of course, in the end, ended up being rather favorable to the, to the Chinese government. They were able to do something that no other country in the world has been able to do in terms of total, complete lockdown and then complete tracing. Um, so, uh, people are, you know, they. People are wondering, you know, have we given up our freedoms for something worthwhile or not? Um, there is no look. Everybody wants freedom to some extent, but some countries it's deeper in your DNA, right? And you know, it's it's deep, certainly deeper in the American DNA than it is in most countries' DNA in terms of individual liberties and freedoms and things that were all taught of the history of this of the United States from from childhood. You know that's such and an important so, observation. I mean, it, 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 we try we hear about the globalist movement, but there clearly is a culture. I think from country to country, some countries are more passive and more accepting of, uh, you know, uh, vanity of vanities, all is vanity <laughs> type of thing, as opposed to those that say, "Hey, I've got personal control. I can do things that are important. I can make a difference." I think that's such an important part of our DNA, as you called it, versus uh, other uh, societies. No, absolutely. The, the question of collectivism and you know, w- what you give up in terms of freedom and everything else for the collectivism is a really important issue. Yeah. And the United States has done that at times during wars, and we've seen also that during wars we've gone a little bit too far. You know, whether it's the the internment of the Japanese during World War II, or the Alien and Sedition Act going all the way back to the um, war with France, 
the quasi war in, in the time of John Adams. Right. Um, so there's always been that push and pull between individual liberties and the need of the collective for unity. The United States has almost always, and I say almost because we've seen, you know, there's Joseph McCarthy, there are other cases where, um, where, where individual freedom lost out, um, but ultimately won in the end. Yeah, we're having, having a little much bit, a, we're having a little mm-hmm. bit of this uh, t- tug and push and pull here in the country right now, as the governors are starting to open up the economy. So, uh, again, it's it, it, that observation is just so important. Mark, I want to talk to you about other things going on in the world. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Terrific website. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, let's continue the conversation with China and what's going on there. The economy is uh, certainly not growing the way it used to, and uh, it's we really don't have good information on what's going on. What are your thoughts culturally and financially and otherwise uh, with regard to what's happening there? Well, I think, um, look, I think when we, we talk about China at this point, uh, we have to look and see, you know, where does, it, where does China stand in the world um, supply chain, mm-hmm. and where uh, are we going to be in terms of that? And we learned during this crisis that we don't want to be totally dependent on the Chinese for various things. On the other hand, you know, where does the government get involved in deciding, well, maybe we shouldn't make things or everything in China. Well, if we start doing that, then we start getting involved in government decision in the economy. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, the reason things were made in China was because it was more efficient. It was less more profitable to do things that way. Mm-hmm. So now we have a situation where where those things might change, mm-hmm. and we may be in a situation where things are going to get more expensive because of our decision um, to involve ourselves in the global global supply chain. Mm-hmm. 
And it's going to be really interesting to see how we balance both the need to maintain independence and maintain strategic independence, let's call it that for the moment, and the need to keep prices low and let the economy, let economic decisions determine, you know, where things are made. You know, using um, using Smith's uh, old old algorithm of comparative advantage. Right. And do we let comparative advantage win out? And if comparative comparative advantage wins out, then lowest cost producer of whatever will make it always. Um, but what are the consequences of doing that? Right, and so, and so, the, so co- the cost of uh, doing business, of course, was not only the cost of uh, labor and uh, getting le- less expensive goods from China, uh, but also there's a cost uh, in terms of uh, economic theft, in terms of uh, uh, intellectual property theft, in terms of uh, all the other things that have been going on that have really diminished uh, the importance of China. Well, all those things, com- com- companies have taken all that into consideration when they decided to, to outsource uh, products to China. Right. They all knew the costs and of that, and they, I assume that being rational uh, CEOs or whoever making those decisions, that okay, this is the cost of doing that. However, the cost of the product is thirty percent lower, and therefore, you know, we'll take that risk. So the question is, what is the role of government now to involve itself in saying, no, no, you can't take that risk now? Is it is it limited to let's say national security issues like the whole issue of? Hawaii, the um, manufacturer of 5G equipment, where we think that the Chinese government is using that as a front for doing a certain amount of spying? Yeah. Or does it go to pharmaceutical supplies so that the United States is no longer independent when it comes to pharmaceutical supplies? Well, okay. But then does it go to masks? Well, masks or textiles, are we now going to say, well, textiles? I mean, where do we stop? Where is that line? Very difficult. Well, I come back to the decision we talked about off air. Whose decision is it? The president can use moral suasion, point out the issues, uh, but private businesses ultimately make those decisions. I don't see any edicts coming down from the federal government. Well, we do. We have the edict just now with with Hawaii, which is the um, manufacturer of five G equipment. Yeah, the president has banned it because of Huawei. Yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, because they they are not a private company; they are part of the Chinese government. Uh, Chinese co- well, Chinese so government. Much, so we don't we don't even know where those lines are in China. Well, but uh, I mean, I think it's pretty well established right now that it is an arm of the Chinese government. So basically, I'm, I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing that fact. I'm arguing uh, the fact that so much more often is as well. That's my point. Okay. So, but the the point is, uh, you know, when it, it comes down to it, whose decision is it? it? When the federal government starts saying you can't do business, for example in China, I mean, they may want to provide sanctions. They may make it difficult by the rules and the policies that we have in place, but ultimately, hopefully, individuals are making those decisions, not the government. Well, hopefully, but understand where it gets complicated, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a very complicated line in this interconnected world, and um, as, soon as, look, as soon as the government gets involved, you get into a level of, of difficulty. Yes, now, you I'm do. I'm not saying we're against it, but you end up in a level of difficulty. And you have, who's making those decisions? And how do you make sure that individual companies are not gaining from it because some bureaucrat is making a decision on behalf of the government but really is making decision also on behalf of an individual businessman for some reason. You know, Mark, uh, in all the years we've been talking, I've, this is the first time I've really heard you take my position <laughs> in the discussion. Because I believe the world is complex. You understand that. I never see black and white. <laughs> yes, but you're standing up for the individual. I think that's great. So, hey, before I let you go, uh, any comments about the United States and the, the pandemic and how we're handling this? Well, look, at the moment, it looks like the numbers are going down slightly. We don't know exactly why. I mean, part of the reason, of course, is New York has gone way down, so that's affected national numbers by a great deal. Mm. We don't know whether the weather has had some sort of impact. We don't know whether the fact that long-term, the fact that there's been so much social distancing for so long has an impact. There are many different different factors here. The reality is we're going to probably pass 100,000 deaths probably the end of this week, um, and those numbers will keep on going up. Yeah. Uh, until we have a cure or a vaccine, we're going to have to live with it for better or for worse, and it's going to be for worse. Um, and we're going to have to find the right balance between uh, having an having an economy that works and remember something. We're part of a world economy, so we don't even live alone. Right. Um, and uh, here, you know, I'll, I'll give you the most extreme example: universities. Right. Mm-hmm. So universities do they open up in the fall? 
And what happens about all the foreign students who used to come to universities that paid for a good part of the American university system? Right. Uh, all these things make it very, very complicated. Yeah, it is complicated and, indeed. But uh, I think, you know, there's risk on all sides. I, I promoted the idea of having a dashboard. Uh, for the American people to see not only what's happening with regard to coronavirus, deaths, hospitalizations, and so forth, but uh, jobs lost, uh, suicide uh, uh Call, call prevention calls, uh, uh, domestic violence. <laughs> you know, so we can actually see what's going up and what's going down, and we can see. Right, but one thing you have to, one thing that's an absolute number is the number of excess deaths that have occurred. So, if the excess deaths would include suicide, you know, suicides, I guess as well. So, how many excess deaths have there been over the past two months of what would normally have taken place yeah. in the United States during this period of time? And that's some ways around 120, 130,000, I believe. Yeah, so what would be interesting to me was to see we had 2,800,000 and some thousand deaths in 2018. It'd be interesting to find out at the end of the year in 2020 how many actual total deaths we had. It would be uh, kind of an interesting statistic for me. Mark, as usual, we have more to talk about than we have time to do it, but I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well, thank you. Again, Mark Schulman in Tel Aviv. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by St. Matthew's House. I just want to underscore the importance of what they do. They have six different businesses they run that take care of 70% of their uh, needs, financial needs. They help the homeless. They help the people that don't have food in the pantry. Uh, and, of course, that has been exacerbated now. So I encourage you to visit the website, stmatthewshouse.org, but also visit one of their businesses, do business with them, their thrift stores and so forth. It's stmatthewshouse.org. Org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus for the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Let's start off by talking about the Foundation for Economic Education and what you do. Okay. We have a terrific website I encourage listeners to visit. It's at feefee.org. Uh, we have new commentary that go up on the site uh, every day. Our focus is on educating and inspiring young people of high school and college age in ideas of individual liberty, free enterprise, private property, and personal character. And we often have uh, seminar programs for uh, 
uh, students all over the in abroad. Yeah, I know. I've I've met young people that have been to seminar programs. I believe it is a life changing event for the good. I might add, and of course, this is in uh, in. Uh, opposition to what many kids are learning in schools these days so they you know unfortunately are not getting these types of lessons so again fee.org f-e-e.org is the website larry you wrote a story about milton hershey showing the persistence is key to success very inspiring and interesting story maybe you could tell us about it okay well hershey's name is one that i would uh, expect that every american has heard in fact i would guess there are very few americans who haven't had uh, something made by the Hershey Company, whether right. it be Reese's Peanut Butter Cups to Hershey Chocolate Bars, you name it. But it all started uh, with a man named Milton Hershey, who was born in Pennsylvania in 1857. Uh, his father was, in some ways, a kind of inspiration. He inspired uh, Milton uh, with regard to uh, being a persistent person. But, but uh, Henry Hershey, Milton's father, never really succeeded at anything he but he never gave up he over the years he tried you name it every kind of investment or money making scheme he could from uh, a perpetual motion machine to oil wells farming farm equipment uh, cough drops cabinetry silver you name it he tried it but failed at everything but his son uh, milton uh, inherited that persistence and Milton went to work at age 14 at an ice cream parlor uh, in southeastern Pennsylvania and uh, quickly talked the owner into moving him from the ice cream section to the candy section. And that's when he uh, began uh, a lifelong fascination with candy, which he constantly experimented with to make better. And then he went on to start uh, four different companies, failed at all of them, hmm. until uh, his last attempt, which became the Hershey Company, and, of course, a big success. Was that a big success uh, early in his life, or was it late in his life? Oh, He was uh, uh, in his 30s before he finally uh, succeeded with the Hershey Company. He had failed in, in fact, one biographer says that he... He had a doctorate in failure from uh, Denver, Chicago, New York, and Philadelphia. <laughs> and he finally <laughs> failed. And he finally ended up back in. Well, now did he? Did his business end up starting in Hershey, Pennsylvania? Well, the town at that time was known as Derry Church, and that's where he was born. Uh, after he uh, failed those other times, and then decided to try again, he moved uh, what equipment that he had to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and then nearby, then on to uh, Derry Church. That town later became the town of Hershey, Pennsylvania, named for him because he made it so successful. Just a great story. Uh, and what do we know about his character? Well, aside from the fact that he demonstrated real persistence, was he a guy who gave back to the community? I, I hate that term, give back, but did he... Yeah. Any other uh, determining characteristics of uh, Milton Hershey? Well, he did prove to be one of uh, Pennsylvania's greatest uh, philanthropists, uh, and he's beloved in Hershey to this day, even though he died in 1945 at the age of uh, 88. And that's because uh, he just constantly uh, uh, did things for the community. And one of the, the uh, really lasting and major gifts was the endowment for a brand-new school that he and his wife started. It, it began as a school for orphan boys, but later became um, uh, um, a little more all-encompassing, but uh, uh, ma mainly for children of uh, poor families. But the Hershey School uh, to this day has a problem that the rest of us would love to have, and that is too much money. They don't know what to do with it. They've yeah. got a, an endowment of $12 billion, My goodness. thanks to uh, what Hershey left behind. You know, so I think it's such an important story, and uh, many parents uh, don't want to see their kids fail at anything, but failure is such an important aspect of developing character and uh, achieving success ultimately. So uh, I think there's a good object lesson here, not only for students and for young people, but also for parents, adults, and grandparents. Absolutely. Uh, and the key thing with a successful entrepreneur is that uh, he or she learns from failure. Uh, 
it doesn't really welcome it, but when it comes, mm-hmm. uh, the entrepreneur looks for ways to improve and do better and avoid the mistakes the first time around and, and sticks to it. He, uh, Milton Hershey never gave up after all those failures. He he was determined to get it right, and he finally did. And finally did indeed. Uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, the Hershey Company. You start out by saying we've all had Hershey. I can recall a time where that was a staple, a daily staple in my life. <laughs> <laughs> One of the four main food groups. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Again, Larry Reed, the president emeritus of a fantastic organization, the Foundation for Economic Education. Fee.org is the website. Larry, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Uh, Jim is a former Barron's Washington uh, Bureau Chief. He's also written a couple of books. They're really fun. Murder Mysteries. Uh, and the location of the mysteries is in Washington, D.C. And, of course, Jim being located there uh, uses the background of Washington, D.C. as an important part of his books. The first is Follow the Leader, and the sequel is uh, Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg. He's former Washington bureau chief. He's also the author of a couple of thrillers, as I mentioned, uh, Follow the Leader, and its sequel is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's great on a uh, cloudy day in Washington, D.C. Temperature has dropped from the 80s into the uh, 60s. And, uh, you know, I I feel kind of isolated, so I've been going through history and and rummaging through old campaigns because I think we had a political development this weekend uh, that probably was a a short story in most newspapers, and that is Justin Amash of Michigan, a congressman, decided not to run for president under the libertarian banner. Uh, People probably yawned, but I think it's kind of a significant political event you know i'm so happy i'm so happy you brought that up because in fact i didn't think i had time on the show to talk about this but i was actually encouraged to see that he decided i was thinking about running i thought he'd made the decision to run and uh the question would have been 
you know, who's this going to affect the most? And I think you're going to make a case that it would take votes away from both Donald Trump because he's uh, definitely going to get these never Trumpers uh, uh, and uh, maybe some rhinos on board. But he also uh, would take, I think, people, uh, voters away from uh, the Democrat Party. Uh, yes, it's hard. It's really hard to say because I looked at the last election, and I think Gary uh, Johnson, when he he was uh, when he ran mm-hmm. as a libertarian candidate, he got close to two million votes, and people argued that he took votes away from Mitt Romney, and they argued that he took votes away from Hillary Clinton. You know, uh, Johnson ran in two consecutive elections. Pardon me. Yeah, uh, uh, but nobody really established, uh, you know, hard data to prove either case. Uh, but, you know, when I look at, at the last election in New Mexico, I'm just pulling states out of a hat. Yeah. For, 48% of New Mexico voted Democrat, 40% voted for the Republican Party, 9% voted other for third-party candidates. So that means... Well, of course, you know, he, he, is, he was, if I recall correctly, he was from New Mexico, governor of New Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, he, he was. And former, uh, also, business owner. He ran, a, I think, a cleaning company in New Mexico. And uh, he, I, I like Gary Johnson. I, I really like Gary Johnson. He's a great guy, but he was certainly not a good candidate for president. He wasn't. But if you look at that, 48% Democrat, 40% Republican, 9%, let's say, Johnson... Uh, you could argue that that 9% would have gone to the GOP, giving them a 49% to 48% advantage. Uh, if you look at Colorado, 5% to a uh, third-party candidate, uh, 48% to the Democrats, 43 to the GOP. So yeah. you could argue that if the GOP had picked up that 5%, they would have been tied. Uh, so... I think that the Justin Amash's decision not to run, mm-hmm. you know, realizing there's no way he can win, it frees up a lot of votes. And yet, uh, if you assume they'll be active and they won't stay at home, it means that the conventional wisdom about which states are pivotal in the next election is completely wrong because a lot more states could be in play now. Yeah. Uh, than the, than the pundits uh, appreciate. You know, that's, that's and, such uh, an important observation. You know, I, I do recall, I don't know if this is significant or not, that New Mexico has the highest percentage of government workers of any state in the nation. So that may be one of the reasons that it's influenced to be blue as opposed to purple or, or a red. Uh, true. And um, it's the same as Maine. Maine was another close uh, state. It was... Uh, Maine was 48% Democrat, 45% GOP, 5% to third party, uh, very high percentage of government workers. I think your point being that um, past Republican candidates have called for smaller government. Uh, Donald Trump is not really a conservative. He's not a traditional Republican. He's actually expanded uh, the uh, the scope of the federal government. And so... Well, I, 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 in part of that narrative, though, I would suggest that uh, he's also, but that may be true, and I haven't thought about that, but the other part of this is reduced regulations and cut taxes significantly, which I think gets, you know, it, under Barack Obama, it's kind of like walking around in saltwater taffy trying to get anything done with a small business, but right now it's uh, certainly a lot easier, uh, irrespective of the uh, uh, pandemic that we're experiencing right now. Yeah, well, my point is he's a populist. He's not really a, your traditional Republican. He's pleased business. He's actually probably pleased the he's pleased the unions. He's probably pleased the uh, public sector workers as well. Mm-hmm. So that so that maybe the uh, the tie of uh, states with strong federal workforce maybe that tie has been weakened. We don't know. Uh, but again, my point is that you know traditionally the pundits say. Uh, you know, look, you have to look at the Florida, you have to look at the, the upper Midwest states like uh, Michigan. Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, yeah. and uh, Iowa. You have to look at uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, maybe, I mean, those states certainly are still important, uh, but there may be other states. Let's, let's say that Trump uh, loses Michigan uh, uh, or loses Wisconsin. There might be other states that we're not thinking of, 
about. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a uh, play because I'm, you know there's no third party candidate. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Jim. And uh, I, any, what are your thoughts about what's happening with Joe Biden? Uh, it's just a number of issues occurring right now, including his inclusion in this uh, Obamagate thing, including his uh, the sexual harassment uh, charges and what's happening there. That's not going away. And then it's just his, his inability to complete three sentences uh, without forgetting what he's doing. I mean, he uh, seems so incompetent. And yet uh, they, it seems like the Democrats continue to support him as their candidate. Yeah, two thoughts on this. I've been reading a lot of history because I'm, I'm isolated like everybody else. Mm. Um, this campaign will be much like uh, the campaigns of the 1890s, which were exceptionally dirty campaigns. Uh, you know, Grover Cleveland, uh, the, the Republicans unearthed the fact that he had had an illegitimate uh, child and tried to silence the mother by putting her away in a mental institution <laughs> when, he, when he lived in Buffalo. Uh, it reminds me of, uh, Biden reminds me of McKinley. McKinley uh, ran his campaign from his front porch. He didn't go out and, and visit the uh, cities. And he, and oh, no he kidding. Was, uh, yes. So, so, so Biden is, is not campaigning, and he's not responding. Uh, this is going to be a really dirty campaign. I've seen the new Trump ads. They're kind of, I, I used to call him President Blunt Force Trauma. You know, that he's, he's, he's the bull in the China shop. And these ads reflected, you know, the ads, uh, uh, one of them keys in on uh, Joe Biden's constant uh, misstatements and mental lapses. And it raises a question that I think is in the public's mind, but, but it raises it kind of crudely. Is this, you know, does this guy have all his marbles? Yeah. Well, you know, and then another ad that focuses on Bo Biden and China, and it, you know, it comes up with a figure that Bo Biden got one point five billion dollars from China, which is questionable. But the point of the ad is to keep Bo Biden alive, and I think what Trump is, he's kind of taking the initiative because you know the Democrats for four years have questioned Trump's mental stability. Yeah. You know, remember the newspapers ran articles from psychiatrists saying Trump's completely right, nuts. right, right. Uh, a- they 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 focused on his sexual peccadillos. They focused on his family and I think he's he's giving it back the way he does uh industrial strength uh, retaliation. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, um, well, you have to mention, uh, of course, this speech that Obama gave at, at the uh, black colleges and universities commencement speech. And so he made a slight a swing at the, the leadership of the coronavirus. He said, more than anything, this pandemic has fully, finally torn back the curtain on the idea that so many folks in charge know what they're doing. So Obama said, well, of course, that's he's referring you have to infer to the administration, to the president. So the president says Sunday, he says, former President Barack Obama was grossly incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't hold. He doesn't hold. Pull punches at all. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So it's it's going to be a down and a dirty campaign. Uh, I think it comes down to uh, Biden's pick for vice president. Uh, that will uh, make or break him because I think people question whether he can make it through four years, let alone right. two terms. And I don't see. Anything out there that indicates that he's going to come up with a uh, magical solution. He's sort of in John McCain's uh, boat. You know, McCain McCain tried to come up with Sarah Palin, and, and you know, for two weeks she was spectacular, and then after that she, she dragged him down like an anchor. Well, you know, the, and of course McCain was not a good choice. He wasn't a good candidate for president anyhow. So, you know, a war well, hero... Well, neither is yeah, neither yeah. is Biden. That's my point. Is he's he's reaching for from for some flotsam to keep him keep his campaign afloat, and it's just not out there. Yeah, I would agree with that. Jim McTague, again, author of two great books. Again, follow the leader and shake the money tree. His latest two great books. You got anything working on? Are you writing another book? I am. It's a book called No Problem, and it's another uh, crime thriller. Uh, well, I'm uh, looking forward to reading Washington, it, Jim. Washington, D.C., the home, home of crime. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Jim. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you do, 
uh, tell your friends about it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, right now sending out a newsletter, and if you'd like to receive the newsletter, you're not uh, receiving it every uh, day after every show. Uh, you can let me know. Just send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, or you can go to my website and send me an email. Uh, we've got great guests for tomorrow's show, including our state senator, Kathleen Pasadoma. We'll visit with Seat Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Phil Corpin is the president of... Uh, 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 another <laughs> organization escapes my mind right now. But anyhow, we'll have a great show tomorrow. So I hope you'll tune in. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>